Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. I'm happy that you came out on a Wednesday. We're going to have fun in church. Uh, the, one of the mottos that we hold to uh, at King's Church, Faith Family Church, and I believe Believer's Church as well, is that church should be enjoyed and not endured. So you came out on a Wednesday not to just kind of endure and have to sit through church, but you came out to enjoy worship, to enjoy one another, to enjoy God. And I believe we have a message that's going to inspire, encourage you, and you're going to enjoy it tonight. Before we get started, as we're standing, let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Uh, Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, who's our teacher, our leader, and our guide. Holy Spirit, we open up our hearts to you. Father, whatever gone, has gone on uh, Wednesday and Tuesday and Monday, the stuff that we're carrying into this place tonight, Lord, we just uh, intentionally make a decision to lay it down, to open up our minds, our hearts, and Holy Spirit, teach us, lead us, and guide us into the truth of your word. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And one more time, could everybody just say amen? And you can go ahead and be, be seated. We are... Uh, we have started two weeks ago, we're two weeks in, uh, started a church uh, on the west side of Cleveland in an area called Lakewood. We started King's Church. We named it after LeBron James, so hopefully he can come to church on a, on a Sunday. I'm just kidding. That's not, people are like, this is weird. That's not why we named it that. But we started it about two weeks ago. I had it in our heart for years and just kind of, uh, kind of did. We took that step of faith out and said, um, God, we, we want to see you do something great in the city of Cleveland. And I don't know if you know this, but we are world champions. I, I, that doesn't get old in saying that. Yeah, we should celebrate that every time. For the next six years, we should celebrate that. It doesn't matter who wins the championship in the NBA this year, we're always gonna be world champions. And especially with the way the Browns are playing right now, we're going to celebrate that even more. But hey, the Indians are coming up, so we're gonna believe that it's gonna be a good year. So we'll keep going. So with all that that's going on in Cleveland, we thought it was a good time to start a church. We started two weeks ago, September 25th. We launched, and we're two weeks in, and in two weeks, we've seen God do some great things, heard some great stories already. We've had 45 people make decisions and commitments to Christ over two weeks, which we're extremely pumped about, and uh, we're just excited. So could you do this? Could you make a commitment to me every time you think of Cleveland, even if it's when you're yelling at the TV on a Sunday because the Browns aren't playing? When Cleveland crosses your mind or your lips, will you also take a second? Just pray for us. Just pray for King's Church. Pray for my wife, Steph, and I, and just believe that God is continuing to lead us, give us wisdom, and open doors to reach people uh, in Cleveland, especially on the west side in Lakewood, which is the area that's uh, maybe not as... Um, open-armed to faith as certain areas, but we believe we're there for a reason and uh, expecting God to, do, God to do some great things. Well, hey, if you have your Bible, let's jump right into the message tonight. We're going to look at two portions of Scripture in Colossians and Luke, and we'll start in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and then we will rewind and go to Luke. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 12. Colossians 3 verse 12 says this, says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive anyone 
who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And I don't know about you, but these are probably like my two least favorite verses in the Bible. Anything that asks me to do something really difficult, like forgive people, is always a challenge for me. But it's important. It's in Scripture. So let's read it again one more time. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance or make space for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now let's look back at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and we're gonna pick up in the middle of a conversation that's happening with Jesus and one of his disciples, Simon Peter. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus is talking and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. One more time. Jesus is talking. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. I want to talk to you for just a few moments from the subject tonight, scarred, but not sifted. Scarred, but not sifted. And I want to explore the idea for just a few moments of what do we do with our failures? What do we do with the moments in life, the seasons in life, the repetition of things in our life where we know we're not supposed to do those things, but they always seem to get the best of us? What do we do with those failures. And if you will, one more time, because I never think we can pray enough, let's pray one more time. God, we thank you for this evening. And as we open up the truth of your word, we believe that you're speaking to us tonight. We thank you that we're going to leave this place different. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, uh, I, over the past year or two, have really become a fan of YouTube. Like, I know it's been around, like, pretty much my whole life, it seems. But like only in the past year or two have I really like gotten into the randomness that is YouTube. Like I will sit at night in my bed and I'll pull up my phone or my iPad and I'll start to watch YouTube videos and I'll go from like watching some deep theological uh, exegetical explanation on the book of Ecclesiastes and like the next five minutes I'm watching like battle rap that's happening in a New York basement, you know, and then I'm in like the sub-Sahara Africa where it's explaining like the mating seasons of elephants all the way down to a guy that's explaining how you can scramble eggs only using a t-shirt and two sticks, like really random like really random stuff, right? So like I'm on like this YouTube kick, and, uh, and but one of my favorite things to watch on YouTube uh, is these fail videos. Anybody like a fan of watching fail videos? Yes, I know. Feel bad about yourself by admitting to the fact that you like to watch other people hurt themselves. I'm like, I'm into it. I follow these different like accounts on Instagram. Like fail videos are just, I mean, they're just, they're just, there's just something about watching somebody else hurt themselves that makes you laugh. So like I'm into these like these fail videos. Like I'll I'll have my ear my earphones in, my little earbuds in, and like I'll be like the bed will be shaking. Like I'll be like laughing and stuff. Will, like look at me and like what's going on? I'm like this guy just like ran like right through a screen door and smashed everywhere. Like this is hilarious, you know. Um, so I'm into these like I'm into these fail videos. I have noticed this though is that whenever I watch a fail video of an animal, 
I feel bad. But if I've watched the fail video of a human, I think it's hilarious. So like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't, and then you're laughing because you do the same thing. Like if you see a dog like full bore run into a screen door, you are like, oh, oh my gosh, like is he okay? Like did he break his neck? You see like a, like a guy run into a screen door and just you're like, oh my gosh, what an idiot. That was so funny. Uh, you're laughing. So I love these fail videos. I'm like, I'm into this, right? And I think this is the reason why we kind of identify and like it a little bit is because we can see ourselves in those moments. Like, oh my gosh, I've done that or that's happened to me. I've just been fortunate enough to not have a camera pointed on me while it's happening and uploaded to the internet for all of the world to see. So we, we, like, we as humans kind of enjoy these, these fail moments of other people. And I was thinking about this, uh, my enjoyment for watching fail videos, and I was, I was kind of reflecting on the funny moments in my life where I've had these fail moments. And I was thinking back to when I was a sophomore in high school, and I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So back in Wisconsin, I don't know exactly how it falls out in, uh, in high school here in Ohio, but where I went to high school at, um, they had a thing called open lunch. And open lunch meant during lunchtime, you could leave the premise, you could leave the property, and you could go to one of the surrounding restaurants or fast food places, go to Burger King, McDonald's, whatever, and you could have lunch. Um, and then they expected you to come back to school. So I don't know what genius came up with the open lunch theory for high school students, but it is a horrible, horrible idea. Because for individuals like me, I didn't like school. Like school for me and my friends was not like something that we wanted to go to. So when we had open lunch, it was an opportunity for us to just kind of just leave and maybe come back the rest of the day. The thing that made it even worse is as a sophomore in high school, after lunch, my next class was gym class. So for us, what that meant was we had open lunch and an additional 45 minutes before we had to come back to school because I grew up and I know I looked like I would have been the star like defensive lineman for high school. But I was way more into like music and skateboarding. That was kind of just, that was my, my lane and a bunch of other things that I've since repented of and asked God to forgive me for. That was kind of my thing. So if we left during open lunch, we would skateboard and then maybe come back to gym class, but probably not because who wanted to go to gym class anyways? But we knew that if we didn't want to fail, we had to at least make certain times of the year and the season and the semester to class so that we could pass. Because I had a mom who was not hesitant and was not um, overly compassionate that if I showed up with a report card that had an F, that she was not not going to go to the drawer and pull out a wooden spoon and remind me that I'm smarter than an F, but maybe not through an encouraging way, but a couple licks to the back of the head with a wooden spoon. I love mom. She's not great. Wasn't abusive back then. So I don't know. So, so, so open lunch in this season, in this semester, gym class is going on. Me and my buddy know, hey, we're coming to the end of the semester. We can't fail, can't get an F. So we show up to gym class. At this time, at this semester, we have a substitute teacher in gym class. And, uh, He's one of those substitute teachers that would jump and teach everything, like he's teaching biology one day, he's in gym class the next, kind of that guy. So he'd been familiar with me and my friend throughout the previous two years and kind of just didn't have the greatest taste in his mouth um, of us as students, understandably so. So we show up and he sees us come into class and he hasn't seen us for weeks and he says, uh, Nickel, Bosman, it's good to see you. Glad that you're here. You guys have a lot of making up to do. And I was like, hey, you know, okay, it's all good. 
And we happened to be in gymnastics in this semester in gym class, which can I just, for just, who has gymnastics in high school gym class? Like, what is that? Like, are we training for Rio? Like, why would we be in gymnastics anyways? So he's like, he's got this long list. He's like, if you guys don't want to fail, I got a lot of things that you need to do in, in class right now. And we're going to start over on the pummel horse. And we're like, okay. So we, we walk over and he starts laying out these jumps that we have to do over this pummel horse. And he's like, I'm going to be watching you. You got to check these things off and then bring it back to me. But I'm watching you. So go ahead and do these things. But I'm going to watch you to make sure you do them. And then we'll go ahead and check off that you did these things. Like, okay. So it's like first jump is you got to run to the pummel horse and you got to jump off the board. And then you got to do the splits over the pummel horse over to the other side. Now, I am, by all accounts and purposes, the least flexible person on the face of the planet. So I know immediately when he says you have to do the splits over the pummel horse, this ain't happening. It's not, go it's not going down that way, baby. Like, this isn't going to, this isn't going to, this is going to happen. So I said, okay. So he gives us our list and it's like, I'll go first. So I run and I jump and I try to do the splits and I get one leg over. So I ended up like just falling onto the pummel horse and me and my buddy are laughing and he's watching us from the other side of the gym thinking that we're just screwing around and, and I go and I put my arm down and, and I go to roll off of the pummel horse. And as I begin to roll off, I hear two pops in my arm and my whole arm goes tingly. And I immediately in that moment begin to like cry and laugh at the same time. Like, you know, when you hit your funny bone really hard and you're like, I don't know how I should feel right now. Should I laugh? Should I cry? Should I swear? And then repent after They're like, what? Like you're conflicted with all of these emotions at one time. So I'm there, I'm cradling back and forth. My arm, I did something to my arm. My buddy runs over and, and he knows something's wrong because we've skateboarded for a long time together. So we kind of know when each other are hurt. And he's like, oh man, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. I did something to my arm. It hurts. And, and then all of a sudden our gym teacher walks over. And he looks at it and he said, what happened? I said, I don't know, I did something to my arm. And he says, let me, let me look at your arm. And he takes my arm and he begins to go like this with it. And he just begins to like pull on it. And I'm just like, I'm screaming and agonizing and pain. My friend is saying things he shouldn't be saying to a teacher. And he's like, and he's just like going at it. And he's like, I think you just, I think you just hyperextended it. I'm like, I don't know, it just, it just hurts. It just hurts. I hate gym class. Why am I here? You know? So he's like, well, let's go down. Let's go down and take a, take a look at it. And we go down and there's the other gym teacher who's already in the locker room. And this is the gym teacher that's like 135 years old. He came with the building, the guy that's been there forever. And he, he, he says, uh, he says, hey, look at this kid's arm. What do you think? And the old gym teacher kind of just like turns around in his chair and he looks at it and looks at me, looks at the substitute and says, well, he's like, you got two options. He's like, one, you either take him to the hospital or two, you call his parents and have him take him to the hospital. And I was like, see, I was like, I knew it. I was like, something was wrong. Long story short, I ended up breaking my elbow and I had chipped off the inner bone of my elbow and it was down into my forearm. So when this guy's yanking on my arm back and forth, it probably didn't do it any favors. So I currently, if I pull my sleeve up, I have a scar that comes up and I have a, a titanium screw in my elbow. And I was thinking about that fail moment in my life and kind of just laughing. It's funny in, in hindsight and in retrospect now about what I've experienced and what I've went through. And all of us, I'm sure, have scars and battle wounds and moments that we can look back on and think of physical things that we've gone through and experienced that, that we're like, man, what a, what a fail moment that was. But well, let me just kind of bring it to a spiritual aspect for just a moment. What do we do with the fail moments in our lives that we deal with within the context of our soul. 
in our spirit, not, not just the physical things, the walking into doors or the breaking of bones or the little mishaps here and there. What do you and I do when we consistently and continuously seem to be making mistakes and having these fail moments over and over and over again? How do you, how do I handle the fail moments in our lives in regards to our walk with Jesus? This idea of faith in God, when, when we read in Scripture and, and we know that God's called us to live a certain way, but it just seems like we hit these seasons in life or these specific areas in life where we just seem to consistently make these mistakes over and over and again, and we seem to fail. What do we do with these fail moments? This is what I love about Luke chapter 22 is Jesus is talking to Simon Peter, and he's addressing a fail moment with Peter. And, and he, he says these words to Peter. He says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He's, he's asked to sift each of you. He wants to, to, to sift you like wheat. And sifting was this process where you would put grain and, and, and weed in, in a sifter and you would shake it vigorously so that the parts of the wheat would become detached from one another. And what Jesus is saying is that the enemy wants to get to a point where he can shake you vigorously so that he can detach you from me. He wants to throw things your way and he wants to have these fail moments in your life that seem to shake you so hard that eventually a detachment or a separation begins to take place. Failure can oftentimes cause us to detach our lives from Jesus. I can do something, I, I can look back at my life and I bet you can do the same, is that we have these areas where we seem to make mistakes over and over and over again, so much so that we begin to feel a separation in our hearts and in our souls and in our lives from God. God, I know you expect better. God, I know I'm not supposed to live like this. God, I know I'm not supposed to do that. God, I'm sorry, I'm asking you for forgiveness for the same thing for the millionth time. And we can begin after a while to have these fail moments so often that we begin to feel like we're being detached from Jesus. Our, our faith can sometimes seem like it's crumbling a little bit. And for some Christians, failure can end up being fatal in our lives because we don't always know how to process through these fail moments. I have talked to more people over the past decade that have left church because they feel like they just don't live up to a certain standard or, or they just feel like, I, I don't know, it just seems so overwhelming or I, I just seem to be making too many mistakes. And what happens is, is they're making these, these failures in their life. They're having these issues in their life. And what they don't realize is they're being shaken vigorously by their failures. And it's causing that detachment, which ends up being they're out of church. They're out of fellowship with God. They're not living in community. Maybe, maybe it's not that they leave the faith. Maybe it's not that they leave the idea of salvation and Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but, but sometimes, sometimes we, can, we can get detached from the promises of God where we can think, well, I guess, I mean, I believe I'm saved and I believe that God loves me, but, but maybe God doesn't really want to heal me because look at my life. I just keep doing all of these stupid things. Or, or maybe, maybe God really doesn't want to prosper me or bless me because, I mean, look at the, look at the issues that I have in my life and 
maybe my marriage really isn't going to be that great because both of us kind of have kind of come from a past and kind of still deal with things. And, and we begin to slowly separate ourselves from some of the promises that God has laid out in his word. And, and we carry the idea of discouragement, and discouragement can be the core of that detachment, that we get discouraged in our lives when it comes to the things that we've not succeeded at or not overcome yet or are consistently failing at, and we become, we become discouraged and, and we become detached from the things of God. And here's the great thing about Jesus is Jesus knows this about Simon Peter. When he's talking to him in Luke, he knows that this is going to take place in Simon's life, so he begins to address it. And I think that what happens is we look at the portion of Scripture in Luke chapter 22 at the interaction between Jesus and Peter, and we see that there is an opportunity for Peter to be sifted, to be separated from God. But I think in Colossians, we, f- we find the resolution. We find the resolve. How, how do we not then? How do we not get detached? How do we not get separated? How do we, how do we deal with the fail moments in our life? And, and let's look back at Colossians for just a second and reread that. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. See, God's instruction to you and I with our interaction with each other is, hey, when you enter into relationship with one another, when you get married or you got friends or you got family or you got coworkers, hey, here's something important. Make sure that you make space for their mistakes. And this is the thing I love about God is that God never asked me to do something for somebody else that God doesn't do for me. So if God is asking me to make sure that I'm making allowance or I'm making space for other people's failures, what that tells me is that first and foremost, God has created and is making space and allowance for my failures. That God has created space for grace in my life. See, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty easygoing person. Like I'm pretty merciful. I'm pretty grace oriented when it comes to other people's failures and other people's mistakes. Like I'm pretty good at forgiving and kind of letting it slide and be like, hey man, don't worry about it. We'll, you know, we'll get past it. It's all good. But what I'm not great at is my life and my mistakes and my failures and giving my, myself the same amount of grace or the same amount of mercy. I get tough on myself. I get frustrated with myself. I get discouraged with myself. And what happens is I can allow those things to begin to fester in my life and it can begin to cause that sifting, that separation sometimes from God and my relationship with him. So, so God calls us in Colossians to make sure that we're making allowance for each other's faults. But I think what we need to make sure that we know is that first and foremost, God has made allowance for ours. He's made space for grace. So I'm going to give you three points tonight on three ways to make space for grace. When you have fail moments in life, when you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with in life, and you, you, can, you could tend to get frustrated or get tripped up or, or have these mistakes or, or have these failures. How do you process through them? I think you have to make sure that you make space for grace. And here's three ways to make space for grace. Number one, you and I have to know that God knows that we'll fail. You got to know and I got to know that God knows you'll fail and that I'll fail. 
And if we can go into this idea of a relationship with God, with, an, with, with not an expectation of God thinking that we're going to be perfect, and knowing that God knows I'm going to mis- make mistakes and I'm going to fail, it creates space. It creates space for grace. Jesus is talking to Peter. I love this. In Luke, Jesus is prophesying Peter's failure to him before it even happens. Like Jesus is letting Peter know, hey, you're going to screw up. Usually like Jesus, you're like, I want to be encouraged. I want you to tell me that you love me. I want you to tell me that everything's going to be okay. Jesus is like, hey, you're about to make a mistake. Hey, you're about to really fail. But here's the great thing about Jesus is in the same breath and the same verse, while he's prophesying and letting Peter know he's going to make a mistake that Peter isn't even aware of, Jesus speaks right past the fail and talks about the positivity and the life that can come afterwards. He says, hey, Simon, look, when you make a mistake, look, repent and turn back to me, and I'm going to use you, and you're going to strengthen your brothers. And that helps me know that even though I might have failure moments in my life, God's vision doesn't stop at the fail. God's vision looks past it to my successes. So that when you and I make mistakes in our lives, we think everything has hit the brakes in heaven, and God's like, er, what are you going to do with that? What? Get it right. Resolve it. Fix it. Come on, make it, do something. But really, if we look at the example of Jesus and Peter is that Jesus says, hey, you're going to make a mistake. I get it. But look at afterwards, repent, change your mind, repent, come back to me, and I'm going to use you. So, so what that should let you know and lets me know is that even though we have these fail moments in our lives, God's vision hasn't stopped there. Oftentimes, we tend to put a period where God puts a comma. And now we have these bumps in the road and we have these mistakes in the road and we say, God, how do I process through these things? I think that you're kind of just waiting on me and God's already speaking past our failure to the next season or the next step in our life. And he's saying, I get it. You're going to make a mistake. It's all good. Hey, come back to me and I'm going to use you. We're going to strengthen your brothers. God speaks past our failures because God doesn't have unrealistic expectations on you and I. I do uh, and have done premarital counseling for a long time now. So it's always fun to get to sit with a young couple that comes in. And, you know, we use the term, a lot of them come in with rose-colored glasses where they think everything is going to be okay all the time. They're never going to have an issue. They're never going to have a fight. They're never going to have a problem. And I get to be the bearer of all of the good news that lets you know you're going to make a mistake. You're going to fail. She thinks he's always going to love me. He's always going to buy flowers. Everything's going to be good. Every Sunday afternoon is going to be spent with me walking through the park. He's not really that football guy. Like, I know he likes it, but he's not going to do that in our marriage. And she's got all of these ideas. He's got one thing on his mind where he thinks, hey, my love life is going to be 24-7, seven days a week, all of the time. And they're just like, yeah, everything's going to be great. And I'm the one that's like, hey, guess what? He's totally going to screw up. And guess what? You are in for a big surprise. Because you think like it's going to be a love fest all the time, but when you roll over in the morning with that stanky breath and you're looking all jacked up, ain't nothing happening, okay? (laughs) They come in with these unrealistic expectations. And and what happens is, and and this is, Colossians is like our our primary verse for premarital is like, I'm like, hey, you, I'm going to give you one verse that you have to remember in your marriage from the moment, from right now to the moment that one of you passes away is this. Make allowance, create space for each other's faults. Why? Because you need to have a realistic expectation of the relationship that you're entering into that this person is not going to be perfect every single day. 
And if God is calling you and I to make sure that we're doing that for one another, you better believe and I better believe that God is doing that for me and he's doing that for you. That he's like, I'm creating space for grace in your lives as well. As a dad, I have a six and a half year old daughter. Well, she's almost seven and like, Six days, she's going to be seven. And I can remember that uh, when we found out we were having a kid and she was gonna, we were going to have a little girl, I can remember before she was born, I was thinking one day of the kind of dad that I want to be. I grew up, I have great parents. Uh, they raised me right, they love us, they're still married. I have a brother and a sister, great parents. And I was like, I want to be, I want to make sure I'm patterning, patterning my ability to be a father like my dad was, and I thought about, okay, what else? What what kind of dad do you want to be? And I knew for me, I wanted to make sure that with my kid, I gave a lot of room for them to be themselves. I didn't want to be that kind of parent that always just told them to be quiet, sit down, stop dancing around, stop being loud, stop singing, just because it annoyed me or inconvenienced me. I was like, I want to make sure that I create space and I let them explore who they are and, and, and that they can just kind of, you know, just make mistakes and it's all good. I remember distinctly before my daughter was born being that kind of dad. Well, fast forward to three and a half years after that moment, I have great opportunity to put that into practice. I'm at home, summer, and I'm in the kitchen and I'm working on something at the table. And uh, our garage door at that time attached through, through the room that I was next to adjoined to us. And I hear the door open. My wife and my daughter are outside and they kind of walk up the stairs and I see my wife walk in. And if you're married, you know this look. It's the, it's the look from your wife where they're not going to tell you. They're going to give you the face that what you're about to see and experience is not good. She walked in like this. She just stood there. And I'm like, what? And she's like. So I'm like, okay, obviously this has to do with, with Paisley, our daughter. So I, I wait a minute, I wait two minutes. And finally my daughter's like, come, come on in, Pays, come on. And all of a sudden my three and a half year old daughter walks in. She's got her, she's got her hands behind her back. She doesn't want to look at me. She comes, she stands next to my wife, and I'm like, what's up? And Steph's like, Pays, tell, tell, daddy, tell daddy what you did. And my daughter at three and a half says, daddy, oh, daddy, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, what? What is it, honey? It's okay. What is it? And she looks at me, she goes, I, like, I drew a picture on your car. And I was like, at this point, as a dad, you're not wanting to fully, as a man, you're not wanting to fully believe the extent of what this could possibly mean. So in my mind, I'm reasoning and coming to the, like, the lowest possible, easiest, palatable, swallowable situation. I'm thinking, okay, maybe she took her finger. She kind of wrote in the dust all over my car. Guys, you don't really like that. You're not really supposed to do that, but... I'm like, oh, we can work through. I'm like, oh, I'm like, that's okay. I'm like, oh, uh, so you, you drew on daddy's car? And then she's like, yeah. And then Steph goes, tell him with what? So my three and a half year old goes, so from behind her back, she pulls out this rock. And she holds it. And uh, 
And I have this flashback to three and a half years prior to being like, Noah, what kind of dad do you want to be in this moment right now? And I go, oh, with, a, with that, with a rock. You did that. My car. Okay. I was like, well, let's, um, let's, like, let's go look at it. So we walk out in the garage, and she goes, yeah. She goes, I wanted to, I wanted to draw a monster face like for you on your car. Um, and sure enough, right there on the hood, she took a rock and like went as big as her little three-and-a-half-year-old arm could all across the hood. There's no resemblance of a face at all whatsoever. It's just giant squiggly lines with my hood just scratched all over with the rock. And, and I look at her with this rock, and, and I have this moment of reflection. I said, okay, okay, Noah, what kind of dad are you going to be in this moment right now? What kind of dad are you going to be in this moment right now? And I look at her, my little three-and-a-half-year-old, and I realize, hey, I wanted to make sure as a dad I created space for her mistakes. How, how naive of it would, would I be? How naive of it would it be for me to think I'm going to have a kid and they're never going to make any kind of big mistake? So in that moment, I just looked at her, and I looked at her with the rock, and I took the rock from her, and I just said, Pays, let's, let's not do that anymore, Okay. Let's, let's, let's not draw on cars with rocks, okay? And she said, uh, oh, okay, okay, Daddy, okay, okay. And that was it. And she's going to be seven, so three and a half years later, she hasn't drawn on any cards with rocks so far, which is great, you know? But I can remember thinking about that and thinking if I, as an earthly dad, as I, as just like a normal, just dad with all sorts of emotions and flaws and failures, if I can make sure to create that kind of space for my kid, how much more so can a perfectly heavenly, perfect heavenly father make sure that he's creating space for me? How much more so as a, as a good dad is he creating space for you and your failure? You see, my daughter walked in and she didn't even want to make eye contact with me. The one place that I want my daughter to run to when she makes a mistake is to her dad. And the one thing she didn't want to do was even look at her dad. And we have a tendency in the middle of our lives when we're making mistakes and failures to not even want to look at God. And yet God is the one that's saying, come to me in the midst of your failures because I've made allowance and I've created space for grace in your life. And I'm going to be the very one that helps you work through this problem and this situation. So God has always been calling us back to himself, even in the midst of our failures. So the first thing is, we have to know that God knows that we're going to make mistakes. Number two, we have to know this, your mess is your message. Your mess is your message. You think, and I think sometimes that God chose us in spite of our failures, but I think this, that God chose us because of them. That God looks at our lives and the stuff that we deal with and the things that we've gone through and even the things that we do, and he says, watch what I can do with an individual like that. Our biggest problem is thinking we shouldn't have any. Is that once we give our lives to God or we're living our life, we think I shouldn't have any problems anymore. That's a problem to think that way. That's a problem to think you're not going to have any issues with life. And it's a problem to think that you're not going to be the source of some of those issues. You got to realize I'm going to be a problem and I'm going to have problems. But I have to also know that in the midst of my mess and my mistakes, that is going to be our message. See, our culture oftentimes glorifies the finished product, but we serve a God that glorifies the work in progress. 
that we, we get the filter right, get the picture right, get it all done, get, make sure it's looking good, and bam, post it on Instagram, post it on Facebook, get it, what, make it look good so everybody can like the finished product. But God's not impressed by the finished product. What God is impressed by is individuals in the midst of their mistakes saying, God, I need your help in the most ugliest of times in my moments. And God glorifies himself in those midst saying, watch what I can do with a person that says, in the midst of my failures, I still need your help. So we live in a world and a culture that glorifies the finished product. God glorifies the work in progress. I have a friend that says it this way. He says, you have the right to hustle your problem. Whatever issue, whatever past mistake, whatever thing that you've gone through, that's yours. So you have the right to take that thing, flip it on its head, and make that pain your platform. You can say, hey, look, look I know I, I went through that. I dealt with that. I did those things in my life. And instead of being embarrassed or being ashamed by them or instead of being uh, quiet about them or, or feeling like, you know, I, I could never talk about that or I don't want anybody ever to, to find that out. I'm going to hide that in the closet. I'm going to leave that in my past. And, and I don't want to address that. Take that thing out and go ahead and hustle that problem. Say, you know what? I did deal with that. I did work through that. You know what? I might not be where I want to be, but I know I'm not where I was. And you can use that prison you can use that pain, not as a prison, but as a platform. To say, man, look what God has done with somebody that has issues, that has fail moments, that has mistakes, that has failures. Number three, final thing. One, know that God knows you'll fail. Number two, your mess is your message. Number three, the end is up to you. Jesus' response and level of attention that he gives to Simon Peter's failure is the amount of attention I want to give to my own which is that Jesus addresses it in just a moment and moves right past it. I'm not going to sit in my life and meditate and focus and just kind of sulk in my failures. I want to be able to make a mistake and move right past it. Even if it's the same thing I caught myself doing time after time after time, I want to get to the point where I can believe that God's grace is so good that I can move. Not that I'm making light of my failure, or not that I'm thinking it's not a big deal, but I'm not gonna sit there and feel guilty and feel condemned about it. I'm gonna say, God, I need to do better. And I'm gonna move right past it and say, thank you for your help. I'm turning back to you and we're gonna continue on the process of it. Because my response and your response after our failures is a definitive sign of my understanding and your understanding of who God is. How you act and how I act the moment after we make mistakes towards God defines the kind of God that we say we serve. My understanding, is he a God that holds us to a distance in the midst of our failures? Or is he a God that immediately draws us close in the midst of our failures? The inability to create space for grace is the very invitation that shame and discouragement need to come in and cause detachment. Your inability and my inability to create space for grace and have an understanding that God knows I'm gonna make mistakes and he's allowed space for my failures. Our inability to do that is the very invitation that shame and discouragement need to come in and begin to cause that detachment, that separation in our life. You know what, I never cut my arm off because I have a scar on it. I've never looked at it and thought, man, that's not how it was created to be. And what a mistake that was. And there's a screw in there now. I, I never thought, you know what? I'm just going to go out to the garage. I'm going to get a hacksaw. I'm just getting rid of this thing. It's scarred. It's not the way it's supposed to be. I've never thought that. But oftentimes we can begin to think and internalize in our souls and in our spirits that our failures and the scars that we carry are reasons for us to get separated from God. And God never thinks that. God is always wanting us 
to be drawn close. Satan wanted to sift Peter. He wants to sift you. He wants to sift us like wheat, where he shakes us so vigorously with our failures and our mistakes and our past that we begin to cause uh, our own selves to be detached from God, separated from God. But I think God is trying to make sure that in the midst of our failures, we understand that there's space for grace for us to draw closer because we really believe this in and with God, the best is yet to come. That I can look and say, what could God, God, what could you do with this? We all carry rocks. We all carry things that we've messed up and made mistakes on. What, What can you do with this? We're all walking around with past hurts and, and, and failures and things that have happened to us and things that we've done. God, what can you do with this? And God's saying, no, 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 I've already made space for that. There's an allowance for that. Come back to me, Simon Peter. Come back to me and I'm gonna use you. Repent, I'm gonna use you. You're gonna strengthen your brothers. God is looking past your failures and my failures to our future. Let's take a moment, let's bow our head and close our eyes. Father, we thank you for the few moments that we've had together. And Lord, we all make mistakes in here. None of us are exempt from this. We've all failed in some capacity and Lord, we're gonna continue to fail in some capacities. But God, I thank you that as we read scripture and we find the call to make allowance for each other's faults, we also know this, that you've made allowance and space for ours. So God, tonight, we just take a moment and Lord, just between you and us, from our hearts, we say, God, forgive us. Forgive us of our failures. Forgive us of our mistakes. And Lord, we thank you that you're drawing us close and saying our best is yet to come. In this moment, if you're here tonight and you say, Noah, I need, I need to connect back with God. I, 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 need, I need to get my life right with God, either, either for the first time ever, I wanna give my life to Jesus. If that's the kind of God that you're talking about, a God that looks past my mistakes, that, that isn't caught up on all my failures, if that's the kind of God that this is all about, I wanna serve a God like that. Or maybe you say, hey, at one time I was with that kind of a God. I was connected with Jesus, but man, life has just got the best of me. And maybe your failures, maybe some situations have kind of caused you to be detached from God and you've kind of separated from God a bit. And you say, you know what, tonight though, tonight I want to, I want to make things right. Tonight I want to, I want to reconnect with God. I want, I want that forgiveness. I want that closeness with God. I want that relationship with God. If that's you with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask you to do one thing for me. We're gonna pray in just a second. I just wanna know who I'm praying with. If you could just slip your hand up in the air and just say, hey, yeah, pray, that's me, that's me. Thank you, thank you. Once you put your hands up, you can put them down. Thank you. Anybody else wanna join these that are raising their hands? Say, yeah, you know what? I I wanna connect with God for the first time or I wanna make a fresh commitment to God. I wanna reconnect with him. Thank you. Let's do this. Let's all pray this together. Those that raised your hands and everybody else seated around you, Let's all say this from our hearts. Say, Heavenly Father, tonight I come to you with my failures. I come to you with my flaws. And I believe that you have forgiveness and you have grace for me. And I receive that tonight. I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. Help me live this life 
the way you created me to live it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.